So he yells out, driver, turn left, right? You know, and, and all the, with all the confidence he could muster, knowing full well, he had no idea if that was the right decision to make. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Today, I am excited to welcome a guest who is an author, a leadership expert. He spent two years as a consultant at Accenture, 20 years at Procter & Gamble, is a former director of consumer and communications research. He's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers of 2018. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Times, Forbes, Success Magazines, many other places, has an MBA from Wharton. And he's the best-selling author of several books. And the one we're going to be talking about today is called The 10 Great Stories, Great, sorry. The one we're going to talk about today is The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell. Put my adjective in the wrong place there. The 10 (laughs) Stories Great Leaders Tell from Paul Smith. So Paul, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I, I place that adjective in the wrong place myself sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. And hey, no. they are great stories. And I was probably jumping ahead because I'm right. quite enthusiastic about your topic here. And uh, and so before we dive into the, the book, Paul, one of the questions that I ask every guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul is what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Hmm. Earliest, well, they probably weren't good ones. So, you know, your first leadership experiences, uh, <laughs> you've never done it before and uh, you make a lot of early mistakes. And I, I document a few of those in my, my first book. But yeah, so unfortunately, my earliest leadership memories are doing things I wish I had done differently. You know, not stepping in when I should have, stepping in when I shouldn't have and, and learning some tough leadership lessons. Uh, that, that I used and drew upon later in my career. But yeah, I don't remember my first leadership experience as being incredibly successful. Can you think of one specific example? I know for myself, like my, one of my earliest leadership memories, honestly, I locked all my brothers and sisters in the basement to make them get the house clean. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, one of my earlier ones that I'm not particularly proud of is being asked by my boss if we could accelerate some of our research to get all of the expenses in this fiscal year because this fiscal year we could we could afford it but we weren't going to be able to afford it next year so in in my zeal to make my boss happy of course I turned around and told my team okay we're going to get all this research done this year and and this year by the way ended in 6 weeks <laughs> right at the end of the fiscal year and so they of course wanting to please me their boss of course you know yes sir and we'll go do this and everybody jumped through hoops to get it done and it was just a disaster because we, you know, doing good research takes time. And, and so everybody was working late hours and cutting corners and making mistakes that you make when you're in an, an, a hurry that you shouldn't have been in in the first place. And, you know, we ended up fielding research that we had to pull back and, and refield again the next year and do it, do it right. So it ended up costing, ironically, more money to have tried to do it fast and, and get it done this year and burned out my team and, and created some bad dynamics there that, that I, you know, I never wanted to repeat. And I had to, of course, go to my boss and say, well, we got a lot of the money spent this year, but we're going to have to spend some of it again next year. My mistake for, for telling you that we could do something that we couldn't. And next time you ask me to do that, rest assured, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you no. I appreciate you asking <laughs> and not telling me, 
but I made a mistake telling you that I could do it. Uh, so, and I, and then I share that story with my team of people because they're all going to lead people someday. And, uh, you know, I want them to learn from my mistakes. And even if they're not leading people someday at, at some, at some point, you're going to ask something of them and they have an opportunity to say yes or no, or tell you right. the real situation. And so you've just empowered them to say to no, tell you, yeah, to say no, to tell you the truth. And so you can, you know, make decisions with accurate information. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How important is that? Well, it's such a great example. You just shared a story. You used that story to inform your team's leadership and their decision-making. And that's what the 10 stories great leaders tell is all about, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you did it right by prompting me to tell you a specific story. And I, and I, I didn't the first time. And then you re-prompted me, which, by the way, is a lesson uh, about how do you get people to tell you stories instead of just answer your questions with yes or no and short answers. And I, I learned that through the process of writing books about storytelling is Sometimes you have to ask a couple of times, but more importantly, you have to ask about a specific moment in time. And that's what you did. You, you know, I, I gave you a short answer and then you said, well, can you think of a specific moment? That's when you get people to tell you stories because that's what a story is. It's a, a narrative about a specific moment in time where something happened. So, Paul, I'm curious about your perspective. You are one of the foremost experts on storytelling in business. And so, you know, we just, Karen and I just got back from the PMI Global Conference. We spoke for three days and and five different programs. And the standing room only program that we delivered was about strategic storytelling. Mm. And so being more influential through the telling of stories and so forth. And, And they were turning people away. I was shocked, honestly, that it was the most, uh, of everything we did, it was the most highly attended. Why is it that storytelling in this day and age is getting so much attention? And I mean, this, you know, Lead With a Story, one of your books, that was a, a, a number one bestseller. Why is this so important? Why is it so popular right now? Yeah, so I, I think it has, it, it has been for the last 20 years or so. Um, and I think before that, it wasn't. But then before that, <laughs> I think it was. In other words, Storytelling is the oldest form of communication known to man, right? We've been telling stories since we've been scribbling pictures on cave walls. And so I would imagine that for most of you know, history, storytelling, even in business, was a very important way that leaders communicated. But I think there was a period of uh, several decades when business became professionalized, you know, and MBA programs started to, you know, to, to be popular and, and uh, business got very analytical. And so I think that storytelling component probably became less popular for, for like I said, many decades. And I think it was the, uh, the eighties and nineties where it started to resurface in terms of a, uh, a legitimate leadership communication vehicle. And especially in the last decade, it, it's, it's accelerated. So I think the point is, I think we're getting back to more of our roots of how human beings really need to communicate with each other if they want to do it on a meaningful level. So it's a return to, I think, what we naturally know is an effective communication vehicle as opposed to some new trend. Mm -hmm. So one of the objections that we frequently hear when we're talking with leaders about telling stories and finding the right strategic story to share is I don't have time for that. You don't understand my industry. Right? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter what the industry is, but you don't understand my industry. I can't tell stories. What are yeah. you talking about? How do you coach or what would you say to a leader who's experiencing that kind of disconnect? Yeah, I hear that a lot as well. And so a few responses. One is you shouldn't always be telling a story. 
right? In fact, I, I, I put a number on it. And I tell people, I think 10 to 15% of the words that come out of your mouth should be in the form of a story. Uh, you know, the other 85 or 90% should be just you talking the way you normally do and giving advice and telling people what to do and setting direction and all that kind of stuff. But the 10 to 15% where you're telling a story will end up being the most powerful 10 to 15% of the words that you use. Now, if all you did was tell stories, I think they'd be less effective because it, 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 A, it would be kind of weird, um, but also it wouldn't be uh, as quite as special. So first of all, you sh you're, not, you're probably not advising people to constantly tell stories. It's only every, every once in a while. Um, but secondly, what they're thinking of when they say, oh, I can't tell stories, they're thinking of some long, drawn out, 15 to 20 minute irrelevant, you know, discussion of the barbecue, you know, they went to this weekend or something. And that's not what leadership storytelling or strategic storytelling is about. It's about telling a very short two, three, four minute story that is uh, engaging and compelling and helpful for people to understand what they're trying to communicate as opposed to some entertaining or maybe not so entertaining distraction. So uh, it, uh, what I end up doing is, is just giving a few examples uh, to people and they go, oh, yeah, well, if my stories were like that, then yeah, I could do that. And I said, well, your stories need to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I remember a CEO that, that we worked with who was in the habit of, he, he'd enter a meeting that was in progress and people would silently kind of sit back and go, oh boy, and buckle in because he would want to tell a story and the stories would ramble on for up to an hour. Oh, God. And the point of the story was never very clear of what right. action people were supposed to take, what they were supposed to take away. It, it wasn't there. And the thing is, he had merit. He had content in those stories. There mm -hmm. was something to say, but definitely needed to do the homework on how to uh, consolidate, how to make it short, effective, and, and pithy. So I'm curious for leaders that are listening to the show today, what tips do you have on helping them to tell effective stories? Yeah, so well, if I wanted to stick with the, the pithy part that you just got to, because there are a number of things you need to do, I think, to tell stories well. Uh, you need to follow the right structure. You need to create the right emotional engagement. Uh, you're going to want to have a surprise somewhere in the story. All great stories have a good surprise in them. You want to use dialogue and the right level of details, but not too much. So there, there are a lot of things that make stories effective. Um, but the, if I wanted to focus on the pithy part of your question, there are two things. First of all, obviously it needs to be short and two to four minutes is, is I think the right length for these type of leadership stories. And the way you keep them that length, but still get all the important things in is to follow the right structure. And the structure that I advocate is there, there are eight questions that I think your story needs to answer. And if you're answering more than those eight questions, that's how you end up with these 15, 20 minute stories. I, I, I'm not sure I've ever heard an hour long story. I, I think I might slip my wrist before I got to the end of that. But um, uh, you're obviously answering more than these eight questions. And uh, so that, that helps you focus. So, uh, so, well, let me just for your listeners, share the eight questions, right? So first of all, uh, why should I bother listening to the story? Right? That's the first question you need to answer because if you, if you don't, they might not listen to your story. So in the first few seconds, you've got to give them a reason to listen to you for the next two to three or four minutes. Once you've answered that question adequately, you've earned the right to answer the next five questions. So that's where and when did it take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Right now, that should sound like the natural flow of a story, right? And, and, and it is. 
But uh, if you're keeping track, that's only six. So there's two more questions, right? And that's, what did you learn from the story? And what do you think I should go do now? I, the person you've just told the story to, what should I go do now? So that's your opportunity to make a, a, a succinct recommendation, right? So you start out with, why should you bother listening to me for the next three or four minutes? Then you, those five questions are essentially the natural flow of a story. And then you end with the lesson you learned and the recommendation. So if you're answering those questions in your story and you, you, you'll be able to do that in three or four minutes and it will make, it will be pithy. It will make sense. There will be a clear lesson and there will be a clear recommendation. And that I think is the way you ought to tell stories at work. So if you're listening, I would encourage you to take those eight questions that Paul just shared and go back and listen to the first story that he told right at the beginning of this episode, because he did exactly that unprepared, unrehearsed. He just told the story and he did it in a way that here's the setting. Here's what happened. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's what I learned from it. And here's what you can do as a result of that. It was all there. And that took what, maybe two or three minutes. Hmm. doesn't have to be long. But following that format, you can be incredibly connected and influential with your folks. In the book, The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell, you talk about 10 different types of stories that leaders need to tell if they're going to be effective. And obviously, we don't have time to go through all 10, and we want people to get the book and and check those out, (laughs) which, by the way, the book is fantastic. Full color, high production value. I mean, our uh, 14-year-old actually uh, saw it on the counter, picked it up. And he said, this is a great book. And he hadn't read a word of it yet, <laughs> just holding it in his hand. He said, this is a great book. So it's for what a 14-year-old's endorsement about the way it feels. Well, I appreciate that. So uh, let's talk about a few of the stories. One mm-hmm. of the stories that, that I thought was very important to talk about is the why we can't stay here story. Mm-hmm. You know, so many leaders think that their people uh, are resistant to change. and You've got a story here that might help explain and how you can overcome some of that resistance when you encounter it. Yeah, so, uh, um, but obviously not everybody is just a stalwart that, no, I'm never going to change. But uh, even if they're not opposed to it, change is usually hard because people just get set in their ways. This is the way I I do things. I'm comfortable. I know it. Uh, So change is difficult even if they're not opposed to it. Definitely. Um, And in order to put forth the effort required to effectively go through the change, they need to be motivated to put in the effort to study, I don't know, the new computer system you're going to put in or the new process that they've got to go through to do whatever. It requires effort. So you, you need some way to motivate them to want to put in the effort to go through the change. And that's what the, the change story is about the case for change or the, why we can't stay here where we are doing things the way that we're doing story. And uh, the, the best way to do that is to find out who or what the change will benefit. Surely it'll benefit somebody or your company wouldn't be doing it, right? <laughs> There'd be no reason to do it. And once you find out who will benefit from that change, tell, the, tell a story about how their life will change as a result of this change. Um, and because that, that, then your audience can see the real human motivation for why we're doing this change. If it's just to save money, well, fine, but who's it going to save money for? And maybe we'll, and what are they going to do with that extra money they saved? Or maybe it's going to save somebody time. Okay. You're putting in a new, uh, accounts payable software, uh, that's more efficient. Well, who's that going to benefit? Well, probably the people who work in accounts payable, right? They're going to be able to do their job faster and more efficient. Well, so what, how, how's that going to help them? Well, they, they won't have to work as many hours, okay? So what? Why is that good? Well, 
Maybe they can spend more time at home with their family. Okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? What, what are they going to do with that time? Well, I don't know. Maybe they'll go to the kids' baseball games more. Maybe they'll just spend more time, uh, you know, with each other over dinner. Like, so get to the real human benefit of the change and tell a story about that. And that will typically motivate people to want to do the thing more. Have you got any uh, specific examples of that kind of a story, like a favorite time that you heard one of those or one that maybe worked in your life? Well, yeah, the the one in the book um, I, I I like for a, a couple of reasons. So I'll I'll share that briefly, and then I'll, I'll tell you why I liked it so much. Um, so one of my clients was a, a a big pharmaceutical company who was trying to reduce the amount of time that it took to get their products to market because it can be decades going through all those clinicals. Um, and so I was there to help them create a a case for change story. And one of the people in my in my my class that I was taking them through heard on NPR on the radio, on the way in that morning, a story about this kid named Joey Lou, who had, uh, this, he was a 10-year-old kid who had this rare form of cancer, and his mother was obviously struggling to help him, you know, find the right treatment, and none of the drugs worked, and the ones that did weren't approved for kids, and then this new drug came out, I think it was Keytruda, um, which is a, a product from Merck, which was not my client, by the way, um, and uh, they, they finally got somebody to, to try it on a kid, his, his him. <laughs> and so they moved to Cincinnati here and, and uh, started him on the, the drug. And, but it was, it was just too late. He was, it was, the cancer had gotten too much of a head start. And so after a few weeks, he, he ended up passing away. And the, the, the disappointment to the family, uh, other than the obvious that they'd lost their child, was that this drug probably would have worked if he could have started it six months earlier. But it hadn't been approved yet. And so part of the, the mother's, Kathy's disappointment was that it takes these drugs so long to get to market. Imagine all the people who could be saved if you could shorten that time. And so my client ended up adopting this story as their case for change, even though the, the, the kid was not their, their patient and the drug was not their product. It was one of their competitors. But they adopted that or a fictionalized version of that story because you know the same things happening to you know people who who use their products as well so it just put a name and a face and a story behind why it's important to get these products to market sooner it's not just about saving money and increasing npv and growing profits of the company and like that's that's sort of motivating but a real human reason is far more motivating to people and so a story about the person who will benefit from the change you're making is your, your best option to create a case for change story. It's a powerful example. That is at a uh, pretty deep emotional level of, mm. of the case for change. Yeah. And not all of them will be that way. Not because not everybody's curing cancer. Right. So, right. you know, th that is um, an extreme example, but whatever it is, even if it's the, like I said, the accounts payable example, tell the story about what that person's going to do with all of their time, you know, once they get that time back. So it's making it personal, name and face. What are two or three other critical stories that uh, great leaders tell? Yeah, so the, the, that one I think is number two on my list. And the, the first four kind of go together because they're about setting the direction for the organization. So that's, uh, you know, where we came from. So that's our founding story. That second one is why we can't stay there, the case for change. The third one is where we're going, a vision story. And then the fourth one is how we're going to get there. And that's a strategy story because strategy is about how we're going to get from where we are now to where we're going to go. And I just, I, I believe that if, if you can articulate those four stories, you're much more likely to get the organization to go where it is that you want them 
to go because you can tell them, here's where we've been, here's why we can't stay, here's where we're going, and here's how we're going to get there. Every leader needs to be able to do that. And I think these stories are the best way to articulate that. So if stories are the best way to articulate that, and we've got to get that 15% of the words coming out of mm-hmm. our mouth to be those stories, where can leaders go looking for those stories? If you're listening to this and you're wondering, okay, I hear what you're saying, but where do I find these stories? Yeah. Well, so each one of these, so that's part of what I, I do in the book there. There's one chapter for each of these 10 stories. There's an example of the stories, and then there are tips for how do you go find this particular story for yourself. So the most obvious one is the founding story. Well, if you're going to find that one, you obviously go interview the founder of the company, right? So that's an easy one that you should be able to go find. And now if, if the company's 300 years old, it's a little harder, but you've got to go back and do some research. But um, for most companies, that would be go to the source itself, the, the founder of the company. For the, the case for change that we just talked about, it's uh, like I said, it's go figure out who the change will benefit and interview them. For the uh, the, the vision story, it's a little bit different because that's, that's uh, one of the few stories on this list that's going to be a fictional story because you're telling a story about the future and the future by definition hasn't happened yet. So by definition, your story is fictional. Now you hope that it comes true, right? This is your vision. Um, so you're kind of making this one up. So you don't really have to go find a story. You're creating a story, but most of them, like you said, you have to find. So uh, for example, the, um, uh, number eight is how we're different from our competitors. You're telling a story about a customer of yours or uh, using your product and comparing that to a story of that customer or another customer using one of your competitors' products. So here you're going and finding customers to tell stories about. So each of the stories, I think it's pretty obvious who the main character needs to be. And I, I spell that out you know, in the, in the back of each chapter. But it, it involves you going and doing some research with that person or that group of people in order to get enough information to craft the story. When we're talking about people who are new to leadership and management, what is a story that we are not sharing with them that maybe we should be? If we could share a story about leadership or management with every new leader that Mm. takes that, that responsibility, what might that be? You know, uh, a good one would be the one you asked me at the beginning of this podcast, right? What, you know, well, I think you specifically asked what's your earliest leadership experience, but I think I would twist that just a little bit and say, what was one of your earliest leadership mistakes, right? So if you're coaching a new leader, what you want to tell them is exactly the t- kind of story I told you. What was some of, one of my earliest leadership failures? And you want to tell them that, obviously, so that they don't make the same mistake you did. In fact, I think that's one of the most powerful types of stories that leaders will tell is their own failure stories to their people. So that, you know, and because everybody wants to work for that kind of a boss, right? You, you want to work for the kind of boss who's, who cares more about your own growth and development than they do about protecting their own ego. So you need to be very generous with sharing your failure stories so that the people who work for you won't have to repeat those same mistakes. Boy, that is such a powerful point. The, one of the things that, that we we'll often say when you're trying to figure out where to find your stories is where did you learn what it was you learned? And so yeah. often that's exactly where you learn it, right? Is from those times we made a mistake, mistake. it didn't work out. But, and those are the transformative moments that humanize us and give per, people permission to learn and grow and learn from our mm-hmm. mistakes along the way. Number nine in the list is often one of those type of stories. So that's why I lead the way I do, which uh, I call a personal leadership philosophy story. It's typically stories about your, the things that either happened to you or mistakes that you made 
in leadership that changed the way that you lead, that, that led to why you are the leader you are today. So uh, if, I, if I can share an, the example from the book in that one, uh, it's about a guy named Mike Figliolo, who's, um, who was a, a West Point grad. So one of his earliest leadership experiences was being a tank platoon leader. So he was in charge of a tank of, of, of guys, you know, running a tank. Um, and in one of their earliest uh, exercises, so it wasn't a real battlefield experience, but a training exercise was essentially a giant game of laser tag with tanks. So they're real tanks, 800 of them, 400 on each team going into battle on a five mile wide by 10 mile long uh, battlefield. But instead of shooting real munitions, they were shooting lasers uh, at each other. So he happened to be manning the first tank in, on his side of the field. So there are going to be 399 other tanks behind him going into battle. So he had to meet with the commanding officer the night before and go over the battle plan and the map of the terrain and figure out where the high ground was. They have the best chance of you know, winning the battle and uh, making the plan because he's the leader, right, in the front of the spear, right? So the next morning, the exercise starts, you know, his tank goes out onto the field, tanks, you know, 399 tanks behind him. He gets to the first point where he's got to make a decision to go right or left, and he doesn't know what to do. Right. And I guess it's because, you know, looking at a battlefield through the crack in the hatch on a tank moving at 40 miles an hour, getting shot at looks different than it does in a conference room, you know, on a map. So he has a choice to make. He can either stop the tank, turn the light on, get the map out, check the map, you know, figure out what the right thing to do is, which might take, I don't know, 30 seconds. Or he can just make an educated guess. Well, Mike chose option two. So he yells out, driver, turn left, right? You know, in, in all the, with all the confidence he could muster, knowing full well, he had no idea if that was the right decision to make. But he says, driver, turn left. So the driver turns left. Tank number two, of course, turns left and follows him. Tank number three follows him. Well, a few seconds later, the little light on his you know, tank goes off, which means you just got shot by a laser. You're, you're virtually dead now. So they have to stop the tank, pop the hatch, get out. Those guys are done for the day. Well, a few seconds later, tank number two, light goes off, you're dead. You know, a few seconds later, tank number three, light goes off, you're dead. But tank number four saw three tanks turn left and get shot. So tank four realized, well, that was a mistake. So tank four turned right. And then 396 other tanks turned right. They took the high ground and won the battle. So Mike obviously made a mistake. He made a leadership mistake, but he learned a lesson from it. And the lesson that he took away from that was sometimes it's better to make the wrong decision quickly than make the right decision slowly, right? Because if he had waited, it had taken that 30 seconds to figure out the right decision, there'd be 400 tanks that were sitting ducks, you know, and they could have lost the entire battle. But, and, and, but business, as in life and as in warfare sometimes, your mistakes will get surfaced pretty quickly, right? So make a decision, make a mistake, figure it out quickly, and then monitor and adjust. Now, that's not always the right decision to make, but it taught him the lesson that, you know what, sometimes it really is. It's better to just go with your gut, make a decision, you'll find out and, and, and change. And so now that has affected the way that he leads. So he is now a very decisive leader, but he's also a very forgiving leader when people make mistakes, as long as they learn from them. So by telling that story, he's, artic he's sharing with people the moment that made him the leader that he is, and it sets expectations for them for how, what to expect from him as a leader, but it also kind of sets expectations for the kind of leadership he wants them to demonstrate. And that's far better than just telling somebody, well, I'm a very decisive leader, so uh, I want you to be a decisive leader. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. 
And so that is a, an example of story number nine, which is why I lead the way I do, sharing your leadership philosophy through a story to help other people be able to align with your leader and learn from your leadership, mm -hmm. which is one more of the 10 stories that great leaders tell. So Paul, if people are listening today, I think one of the assets that you've got as a companion to the book is a workbook to help people work through their stories. Can you tell us where to find the workbook, uh, your website, how to connect with you? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, so my website is probably the best place to start for all of this. It's a lead with a story dot com so just the name of my first book yeah so it's got links to all my books and uh and the videos and training that i do and things like that uh the the workbook for this actually it's uh it, it comes out in the next uh, couple of weeks depending on when this uh podcast airs uh but you can order it on amazon the same place you order the the regular book just uh the the, the yellow one is the the main book <laughs> the 10 stories great leaders tell and i think the blue cover is the workbook and all it uh, it, it has all of the worksheets you'll need to work through these 10 stories yourself and we will get links to both your website and the book and the workbook and everything uh, in the show notes for the episode. So we'll make Lovely. sure that that is available too. Paul, any final thoughts when it comes to the power of story and uh, why leaders should be telling stories? Yeah, I guess I would advise you to think of storytelling as like you would any other business skill or any other leadership skill uh, that's worthy of study. And that's because a lot of people I talk to make the mistake of thinking, oh yeah, storytelling, I should probably do more of that. So I'll just, I'll just do more of that. In other words, I'll just wing it. But if somebody said, you, you need better financial acumen or you need to be better at marketing or, you, you know, what, would you just say, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll wing that. No, you, you'd go study it, right? You'd go buy a book, you'd take a class, you'd watch a few online videos, you, you know, you'd study it. And storytelling is no different. Study it. You, like you can, you can do storytelling wrong. As you said, the, the guy that was telling those one hour stories that had people rolling their eyes, that's not good storytelling. So study it like you would anything else, and I think you'll be, you'll be better served. And that is how you become the leader you'd want your boss to be. Paul, yeah. thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.